You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Morning again. Uh, thank you. Good morning. It's so good to have you, but refocus on a word of God. And so I don't have this on the screen, so I want to encourage you to turn to in your Bibles, on, on your phones, or in the real life uh, piece of paper Bible that you might have along with you to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Not Revelations, Revelation chapter 4. All right, so right at the back of your Bible, and we're going to start in verse uh, 6. And since we're talking about prayer this morning, let's uh, start with some prayer. Um, and res- actually, we're going to respond to, to God's word here uh, as I read this for us. So let's focus in on what, who he is, who he is, who we're praying to, who God is, and and this is a little bit of a snapshot of what we see in the, in when we enter into the gates of heaven and into his throne room. The word of God says, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. I'm not sure if you can imagine what this must have looked like, but what we see here is complete, utter worship. Just unadulterated worship, an understanding of who the Father God is, who Jesus the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is, and you can't do anything but cast any gift that you've been given by this holy God, cast it at his throne, and just worship. This is a series on discipleship. We're in the midst of it. We're kind of halfway in. We're getting to that halfway point. There's nine weeks in total, and we've already hit. We're, we're hitting some of the things of who God is. And the reason why, like, friends, the reason why we're going to God first is for this very reason. Because if we don't understand who God is, then when we get to the later half of the, this discipleship series of the things that we're called to, It'll feel like a duty. It'll feel like, oh man, Jared's telling me to do another thing. He's making me feel guilty. He's, and so on and so forth. 
oftentimes what we feel within the church, right? Like, oh man, I'm not living up to this standard of this pastor or this person. And I'm just, I'm on the same side of the table as you. God's holiness is over here. No one's over there except him. And so we together are reading the Bible together and going, this is what we're called to. And so Jesus, Jesus is here, and, and we want to always go towards God's focus first so that when we get into the things that God has called us to, we understand that these are good things and they, that we can turn that duty feeling into a delight, into a delight. So going through the discipleship series and the order in which we are doing it is incredibly important, incredibly important. So we've just literally just barely touched the surface of who God is in his character, his attributes. And then last week we talked about his Bible, that he's inscribed to us, through, inspired through men and women across the ages. And it's fun to talk about these things, right? It's fun to talk about the character traits of God, to see his holiness, to see his mighty power, his salvation power, his redemptive power, but when we talk about, like last week, about the Bible, when it starts to get pressing in on us, it's different, right? We get a little bit scrappy. Because it's like, oh my goodness, you're telling me to read it. You're telling me to be about it. But it's not me telling you, like I said, it's, it's what God has called us to. Like in, 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 jo- in uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, it actually says in the scripture, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then it leaves us with this amazing promise. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. See, this is not like a prosperity of a gospel. This is like when you fall in love with Jesus, when you live out the commands that God has called us to, your way will be prosperous. You will have success. This is a promise. It doesn't mean you will not suffer. It means that your way will be prosperous. Your greatest joy will become Christ. Your greatest joy will become the Father, even though you go through torment or trial You even turn that into joy, like chapter uh, 1 of James, in the book of James. Or we see in Psalm 1, 1 and 2, it says it again, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Or Jesus himself proclaiming, Uh, to be the word, saying of the word that it is not by bread alone, but by the very words of God. It's by the very words of God that you are sustained. See, this discipleship series is going to press on you. It's going to press on you, but we have to remember the first couple of moments, the being Christ-centered, being the attributes of who God is. is. He is not just loving. He is love. He is sovereign. He is good. He is holy holy, holy, worthy of all praise. And when you sit in the presence of the Father, there's nothing but that response. And this discipleship should and ought to change us and grow us, and we ought to think differently of every day of our lives. 
See, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Like the holy, holy, holy God of heaven is in you. He resides in you. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. See, if your habits have been the same for years, like decades of similar habits of putting things aside constantly, we need to examine ourselves. We need to, how are we firing ourselves up to to find out who this Christ is, to find out who this saving Redeemer is? Like I've brought up the vol- my volleyball team, and, the, and they know now, they, I, they're, they're now repeating the things that I'm saying, and where I'm just completely quiet now in timeouts, because they're all saying the exact same thing that I'm, I'm going to say. And so I looked at them this last weekend, and I go, so you're saying the right things, now go and do it. Practice it. We oftentimes as Christians know what we ought to do, yet we don't do it. And James says, don't just know the word, do it, practice it. Don't just hear it, but practice it. See, we are fighting to hold on to maybe past ways of doing things. Or are we willing to submit to God and his ways of doing things? See, there is going to be a wrestle. I'm warning you, there will be a wrestle. And I know each one of us feel it at times when the Bible is right there and I know I ought to be praying and I choose to do something else. There's a wrestle. There's a press on each one of us, but are we going to be live out of the spirit of self-control and pursue Him out of His holiness and really recognize how amazing and holy He is and may that Turn the dial for you. So this is why we started with Christ, Christ-centered life, learning about God and His character. So when we get to things like the Bible and prayer and the other things that are coming in the weeks to come, the duty that we all feel at times might be transformed to become delight. That when we see our Bible, we go, oh my goodness, this is God, the Holy of Holies, God, His Word. I can't wait to pick it up. I can't wait to study. I can't wait to read it because I want to hear from Him. So I've said, to, I've said this to you before, like for me, this transformation has taken place and it's been taking place over years, but it's one of those things now where I go, man, I, I see the Bible, I know it, I've read it multiple times through, and I'm going, I'm tired of just knowing it. I want to actually practice the clear things that it's saying over and over in my life now. I just want to live it out. And I want all of us as a church to do the same. Like there's so many clear things that we're called to and let's just practice it and see what goes on. See the prosperity of what is happening and what Christ wants to bless us with in this life to come. And it might be suffering, it might be trial because it's through these times that we get to know His amazing grace and His love for us. So... Let's not fight with one another on this, but rather encourage one another in this. And I want, to, I want to do these clear instructions from the Bible that gives us and practice them. Friends, following Jesus is amazing. You are saved by grace. Your salvation is assured in Him, in Christ, and what, what He has done for you. 
but it also means you are called to a greater purpose in life than what you may have been living up until this point. Jesus himself says in Matthew 16, 24 to 25, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Sounds a lot like duty if you don't understand who's speaking to you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. See, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So let's pray. And then we'll jump in. Jesus, I thank you for your holiness for even to come into your presence, that picture of your throne room with the four creatures all around 24-7 saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. Worthy are you, Lord. Help us have a new perspective on who you are and what you have done for us that we might fall deeper in love with you And I pray, Jesus, as we're talking about this amazing gift of prayer that you've given us to respond to you, I pray, Lord, that it will fire us up, that it will spark something within us, that that this will change us from this day forward to remember your attributes, to remember your holiness, your sovereignty, your goodness, your love, your mercy, your faithfulness, your redeeming power through Jesus the Son. You're filling us us up with the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us remember how loving and caring and perfect you are. And so as we talk about prayer, Lord, please soften our hearts, creating us a new desire to share about you with our neighbors and our friends and be about your kingdom and not ours any longer. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, like I've said, we've walked through the Christ-centered life. We've walked through the attributes of God. We've walked through the assurance of salvation and the Bible last week and now prayer. And now prayer. We, on, we, we not only get to read his very words and meditate on it day and night, but we get to pray for it to him without ceasing. We get to talk to him. Like even in the Bible, we are given instructions on how, why, and what. And that's the points that we're going to hit today, this morning. How, why, and what. Three points of prayer. We could have gone all kinds of different directions. Trust me, when I'm studying prayer, it's like a vast array of different directions you could have gone. Actually, this week has been harder than any other week um, on regarding what to go after. Because we could have talked about all kinds of different things. Like we could have discovered the Puritans and how they wore out the ground with their knees just because they, they devoted times of prayer. Like I'm not sure, I did a little bit of research on some, some of the people that translated the Word of God and they would spend five hours before they even opened the Word. Five hours in confession, confessional prayer before they even translated one word of the Scripture. Or the martyrs, the miraculous prayers and actions of faith that literally changed cities like, like we see in the book of Jonah. Or prayers of George Mueller who fed hundreds of orphans by simply tra- praying and trusting the Lord's hand would move. 
or prayers from those in prison and changing lives of fellow inmates eternally. Maybe one day we can look at these. It's incredible to see the people before us. But let's look at the how of prayer. How of prayer. See, we've heard of all types of ki- and kinds of prayers, haven't we? Like we have even categorized people into these areas of prayers. We have schools of prayer, conferences on prayer, prayer rooms, meditative prayer, silent prayer. The list of the experts on these forms of prayer are becoming endless. Like in my studies, I came across this one book by Tim, Tim Chester that just calmed me completely. It's just, you can pray. Now think about that title for a second. When you come up with all types of different types of prayers, and then Tim Chester goes with a book and he goes, hey, you can pray. And he writes this in, in pretty early in the book. It says, the fact is that the secret of great praying has nothing to do with human effort or skill. Plenty of people would like to think it does because they want to make prayer an achievement. An achievement. So when you go down this trail of elevating others or yourself or a certain group of people, you make prayer an achievement, and you, the Christian, have a lesser form of prayer than these real powerful warrior prayers. But you actually have been given the gift of prayer. See, when we start elevating others, which is clear we are not to do in Scripture, we begin also to elevate certain commands of God that other people may seem better at. Because of our, our heart's quick judgment on status and abilities, we tend to lift others up um, in prayer as great prayer warriors while making others or ourselves actually feel inadequate in their presence. See, it hasn't helped that culture has taken prayer and made it something lesser by making TV shows, movies, and comedians mocking prayer. But there are others that have sought after God by prayer and through prayer. People have been seeking to communicate with God since the fall of mankind in the garden. And when you go back into the scripture, into the original times, like in the Old Testament, like with Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob and David, you see that prayer is merely a conversation. And in fact, if any one of those people that I just listed, uh, if, if you were to say who's the prayer warrior of that group, it'd probably be Moses. Because in Exodus 33, 11, it says, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. But rather than seeing this as a great achievement for Moses, like Moses did something to deserve this, we need to read the whole story and see that God chose Moses as he has chosen you. When you've, sell, when you've confessed your sin and 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 confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he first spoke to you and chose you. He has chosen you to communicate in prayer with him. See, prayer is essentially God calling out to our hearts, transforming the heart of stone, turning to a heart of flesh, filling you with his Holy Spirit, and giving us new life. We see this in Ezekiel 36. But think about this. Think about this. Our prayers are actually a response to God already have spoken. Oftentimes we think prayer is like, now I, gotta, I have to ask something and awaken God up in some way so that he hears me. 
But you need to start thinking, and we need to start thinking, that prayer is actually a response to his voice already have been sp- has spoken to us. See, God started with, God spoke, God in the beginning, right? It started with God. He gave us his word. He's the one that spoke first. Even in the book of 1 John, it talks about that he loved us first. That's why we love him. He spoke to us first. That's why we speak back to him. See, prayer is a response to his voice. So maybe rather than how do we pray, we should ask how do we ask God or respond to God after hearing him. Karl Barth, a Swiss theologian, said, however difficult it may sound, the hearing really precedes the asking. It is the basis of it. It makes it real asking, the asking of Christian prayer. So prayer is a response. And there are many ways today, I will give you three from the Bible on how we are to respond to to God speaking. All right, we see examples of response when God shows up. And how do we respond? How do we pray? Well, in Exodus 15, just an amazing passage. But the, the background of this story is, as maybe you know, is the, the, the removal of the Israelite nation out of Egypt. And they traveled through and they got to the Red Sea and God did amazing work and parted the Red Sea and the people walked through the Red Sea and on the other end and the army of the Egyptians was following them and God, one miraculous, one miraculous thing after another and finally just goes, I'm going to show you who I am. After the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, all these things that are already there and then this last thing, I will take away your persecutor. And he crushes the Israelite or the Egyptian nation under the waters of the Red Sea, and the bodies are flowing up onto the beach. And this is Moses' response his prayer. Exodus 15, verse 11 Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is this God? Or one of David's poems, Psalm 33, verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Or the centurion and others at the foot of the cross, you remember this story, it's in Matthew 27. And the, 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 the centurion and the people around watching Jesus finally give up his spirit. And an earthquake hits and the tombs open up and it's like literally the walking dead come out and people are starting to meet their families again. It's like, I, you were dead. I, put, I buried you and I'm alive now walking around proclaiming Jesus Christ has risen and alive and he's defeated death and sin. And the centurion says, truly, this was the Son of God. Friends, when we pray, we ought to be in awe. We ought to be in awe. Who are we praying to? That's why we started with his attributes, his character, who he is. The Bible is the very word, and now we respond by prayer. So number one, in awe. Number two, we want to be right with him. We want to be right with him. So have you ever had a relationship that was or is broken? Like, I know every one of us could put a hand up on that one, right? A broken relationship. See, that person or family is probably the last person you would have over for dinner or drinks, and they would never have you over either. 
There's a brokenness between that relationship. There's friction. There's a friction point that there's no way I'm having that person over. And they're saying the same thing in their living room about you. See, the only way you would enter into that home is if there is a great humility and grace. Grace is meaning is simply is like something that you don't deserve. That's the only way that that thing would get reconciled in many, many ways. Well, God is no different, right? God is no different. He has given us a, an amazing gift of grace. There's a brokenness between us and him because of our sin, not his, our sin. And we see this in the stories of the burning bush where Moses is called towards God and because of Moses' sin, God goes, that's far enough. Take your sandals off for this is holy ground. Don't come any closer. Or the mountain where the cloud is, enters onto Mount Sinai and Moses enters in, but God tells Moses, do not let the people touch the mountain or they will die. This is holy ground. No sin can be present. Or the ark and the, and the instructions of the ark of not to touch the ark. You had to carry it a certain way and there was all these instructions because this is representation of God's presence with his people. And if you touch it, you will die. If you touch the holiness of God, well-being sin, filled with sin, you will die. Friends, God hasn't changed. This is the same God. And in John 15, 6 and 7, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We need to be right with him. We need to be right with the holy, holy, holy God. See, Jesus takes it one step further, though. You not only need to be right with him, you need to be right with your neighbor. He says this in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, that when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and he says this at the end of that teaching, he goes, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, biggest but in the Bible, all right, that could be a good joke, right, dads? Biggest but in the Bible. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness, right relationship with one another, has eternal consequences. And Jesus puts a timeline on this as well. Further, just before this, Matthew chapter 5, he goes one step further with relationship. When he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount about anger, it's in chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. It says this. You have heard, back in the old, in the, in the Torah, in the law, you have heard that it was said to, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift, if you're coming in prayer at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Friends, this is a massive deal. When there's friction points between us, there's ultimately friction points between the Lord. The Lord is saying, stop trying to worship me when this is going on. Stop. Go see your brother and deal with it. Deal with it ASAP. See, being right with God, be right with one another before responding in prayer. This is what he's called us to. And we can't have this ever in our families. We can't have this in our church. We need to fight for reconciliation, as I said even last week. So if you have something with your neighbor, you have something with the Lord. Ultimately, if this is going on with one another, that pictures something with you and the Lord. And I'm saying this because 1 John says this, and we're going to get into this in the new year. First, we're going to go through 1 John, which I'm super excited about. But 1 John 4, 19-21 says this, We love because he first loved us. So if anyone says, I love, and picture this with me, if I love God, I'm saying I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot then love God whom he has not seen. So if you have something wrong with you and your brother or sister or someone within the family of God in the church, that represents your love with God. It's a picture for you. It's a gracious picture for you. If there's something wrong here, God's going, you have something wrong with me. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So Jesus also says in Matthew 10, 33, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. We got, this is so incredibly important. We need to figure this stuff out. Quickly. For the sake of prayer. So how can we be right with the Father when there's friction with us? The only answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Him. He is the true reconciler. See, there's only one way. Surrender to Jesus. Give your life to Him. The, you're, you might say, this dealing with someone I don't like, it sounds serious. Yeah, it is. Incredibly serious. So much so that Jesus says in that first John passage that you're a liar. You actually don't love me if you're not showing love to your brother. It's a serious matter. So if you deny him, you are essentially saying, I'll pay for my own sin in this matter. And that's a scary thing to be in. So we have, how do we pray? We have be in awe. Be right with Jesus. Be right with him. And thirdly, be about Jesus. James chapter 4, 2b through 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We spend wrongly on our own passions, our own, our own kingdoms. I, want, I rather pray for my kingdom than God's kingdom. Because we've forgotten those first couple chapters of discipleship. Right? We've forgotten about his attributes, his, his amazing attributes, his character, his word. And then we turn that and we forget when we get to prayer and other things that we're going to hit this, these couple coming weeks, we forget that and we start going to our kingdom. 
And we start being about us. So we start using prayer, this amazing gift that God has given us, and we start using it for my sake. And so we need to always remember who he is. So we need to be diligent in checking our hearts, desire as well as inviting others in. This is why a community group is so incredibly important. That we might see each other's blind spots and help one another walk in holiness. So that it's not about our kingdoms, but about Jesus' kingdom. John 14, 14 says, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Again, about his kingdom. It's focusing in on him. Or John 16, 24, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And the joy that's full is always surrender to him. The fullness of joy. I read Revelation 4 to start us off because that is joy. Read it again through on your own time. And just see the joy of those elders throwing their crown down. That is the pre- you're in the presence of God Almighty and you're not dead. The joy of your heart, it must have been huge. And I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that, that presence of the Lord just so clearly and your heart just feels like it's going to explode through your chest. It's an amazing feeling. It's just a snapshot of what you're going to get in heaven forever. It's, it's incredible when you're hit, and I just want more of it. So when that fades, when that goes back in the, the real world, the sin and the hate and the evil all around us start shrinking that heart again, and we forget his amazingness. It's like, I just want that again. I just want his presence, and that's why the delight in his word, that's why we delight in surrendering and entering into a place of prayer with him. So there are many more instructions in God's words. There's tons, but there's three for you. Be in awe, be right with the Lord, and be about Jesus. So prayer is a conversation, a conversation that you have been invited into because he was the first to speak. And now in his grace, he is asking, he's commanding, he's commanding us to knock, seek, and ask. So why? Why pray? Well, I just gave you the first point. Because he's commanded it. Jesus has commanded it. Philippians 4, there's going to be a lot of verses here in a row here. Philippians 4, 5 through 7, it says, the Lord is at hand. Man, that is so refreshing. And also incredibly scary. Think of Moses at the burning bush. He just got drawn towards it. And the Lord is at hand with him. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is your loving Father that's before you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So don't pray and worship creation or a creature, nature, a person, but the person of Jesus alone. Jesus alone. The Son of God, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Jesus has exemplified it. Why we pray? Well, Jesus has given us a great example. See, Jesus often went to the garden on his own and with others to pray with the Father. In Luke 6, 12, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. All night. 
when I would go on mission trips with, with high school students, I would also often take them. And when one of the first nights was, or the first days was a three-hour time of prayer. Just you and your Bible, solitude, no technology, pray. And every single year that I did this, the comments from these high school students, grades 10 to 12, would come back to me and go, Jared, I thought that was going to be the most boring time of my life. I didn't have my phone. I didn't have uh, anything but my Bible, which I hardly ever read. And that was the sweetest time. It was the sweetest time. And I challenge all of us to practice that at least once. And then by God's grace, it moves into more times. Spend some time with him and just see how he shows up with you. See, Jesus has exemplified that. In Mark 1.35, this is after a ton of miracles that he just performed. He goes, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He prayed. Jesus also taught his, this, 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 this practice of solitude in Matthew 6.6 6, in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, if we are disciples of Jesus, like this whole discipleship series, it's nine weeks, we're, the, the goal here for me anyways to help pass on to you is that we all follow Jesus. That's the goal, that we just constantly are looking towards him, directing our path always back towards Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And you follow, you, you follow others that are doing the same. You don't want to be like this man, but we want to be like the man he is following or the woman that, he, that she is following. I want to be discipled by that person, and I'm, my attention's not on her my, or him. My intention is on Christ, the one that they're looking towards. This is discipleship. This is what we're called to do. So you go, come on, follow me as I follow Christ. This is the direction we go. And if we're not doing these things and delighting in them, delighting in the word of God, delighting in his attributes, delighting in who he says he is, and delighting in prayer, then are we actually a disciple? See, disciples are going after their discipler, and that truly is Jesus. A place where you have freedom to cry out. This is what we want to do. This is what Jesus' command is. Find a solitude, a place of solitude where you can cry out and cry and, and be clear and open and honest with him. It's just merely a conversation. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, in Jesus' flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. So Jesus has commanded it, Jesus has exemplified it, and Jesus has made a way for it. And third, and this is third, Jesus made a way for prayer. Hebrews 10, 19 to 23. You guys know this passage, I'm sure, but it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
And let me remind you of what this is talking about. This is Jesus after he has died on the cross. There's this massive curtain that was, that was guarding all of us, all of, the, all of the nation of Israel from God's holiness, his, perf, his perfection, his perfectness. And only the holy priest once a year could go behind that curtain. And that curtain was the, the true mediator. It represented Jesus. It represented the mediation between us and a holy God. Just like Moses was the mediator for the people of Israel. Like Moses entered into the Holy of Holies on the mountain of Sinai and and had conversations with God. And he prayed to God that he would not wipe out the people. He was the mediator. As Jesus is now the perfect mediation and on that day, that curtain was, from top to bottom was ripped in two, representing that Jesus has fulfilled his mediation task as the eternal priest, as the eternal sacrifice, and paid for our sin that we now can have full access to God the Father. This is what this passage is talking about. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence now because of Christ, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, his broken body, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, which is Jesus Christ, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean, which is the, like you, you take the animal and you sacrifice this animal and sprinkle its blood all the way around to make all things holy. You've now been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. This is who our God is. Jesus has made a way now to the Father. We can now enter into the gates of glory with confidence and bring our request before him, respond to his amazing action in his work. So not only has Jesus made a way, Jesus loves the fellowship of that conversation. In Proverbs 15, 8, it says this, the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Jesus has made a way, enjoys hearing from us, and cares deeply when we are hurt. In Psalm 56, 8, it says, You have kept count of my tossings, my tears in your bottle, and all of them are written in in your book. This is a God whose steadfast love endures forever. He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. And he just wants to come and fellowship with you that you might respond to his words. And fourth, prayer is from a, of a... Prayer is a form of serving God. In Luke chapter 2, 36 through 37, a prophetess, Anna, advanced in years, a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Jesus has commanded it. Jesus has exemplified it. Jesus has made a way for it. And Jesus has made prayer a way to serve God. So what is prayer? Well, I've been saying it all along. Prayer is merely a conversation with your holy God. And it's everywhere in Scripture. Prayer is simply a response, a conversation with the God who loves you, who lived for you, who died for you, who rose again for you. 
who has redeemed you and a God who speaks to you. So merely prayer is but a conversation, a response to his voice because he is the one that first spoke and so we get to respond. So what is prayer? It is a response to God's voice. And I'll close with these two verses. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, it says, Rejoice always. Rejoice in his character. Rejoice in his attributes. Rejoice in his word. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is, this is your purpose. Like, so if anybody asks, what's the purpose of life? Point them at this verse. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, to give thanks, to rejoice, and to pray. Psalm 40, 16 says, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Let's pray. Jesus, as we respond to you, as we respond to your voice, we thank you for for your word that you've spoken to us. We thank you, Lord, for your love that you've given us. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit that resides in us. Help us, Lord, now worship you casting all the gifts back to you because you are the one that deserves them. We've done nothing but just receive your amazing grace, a gift that is not something that we deserve. We deserve hell eternal. But you've saved us through your life, death, and resurrection. So thank you for making a way for us. Thank you for shedding your blood for us sprinkling us with your perfect sacrifice, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So help us, Lord, be faithful in prayer this week and the weeks to come. Help us change from one degree of holiness to the next. Help us become more like you each and every day, Jesus. Please sanctify us and grow us. And if it means bringing suffering to us as an individual or as a church, please, we want to take that because we want more of you. And if it's blessing, Lord, we, we want to take it because then it's more of you. So whatever you, des- whatever you decide, Lord, whatever is best for your namesake and for your kingdom's sake, we want that. So help us, Lord, believe that with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And help us this week as we come to you into your presence, into your throne room that we can only come because of you, Jesus. Help us be faithful. Help us delight in your word and this opportunity to respond today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.